0: and whatever he does shall prosper the ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind drives away therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish let us ask the lord once again for his help. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to understand the truths that are here in your word. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord. Help me to expound your word clearly and precisely, Lord, and to make uh, justice to your word, the beauty and the power of your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would help us open our ears and our hearts to receive this word and That throughout the week, you would remind us of this word and that it may uh, bring in us fruit, Lord, as it does with the blessed man. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I said, we are starting a series on the book of Psalms. This uh, This is the first psalm of the book. I thought it would be interesting to do a few minutes of introduction of the book of Psalms, just as an overview and not getting too much detail, just... Uh, a few things that I think might be useful as we are reading and studying the Book of Psalms, just to understand. So we have here in your Bible, you probably have it, the Book of Psalms. Actually, in the Hebrew, it was uh, not entitled Psalms at all. It's Tehillim, which means praises, and then later on, entitled the Book of Praises. And actually, this word "song" comes from the Greek, from the Greek. Uh, the first time this word appears is when the Old Testament was translated into Greek. Into Greek. Uh, you might have known, might have heard this name. it's Septuagint. They entitled the whole book the Psalm Psalmoi. Also, if you look at the New Testament, the words that the New Testament Greek uses to refer to this book, you can check it in Luke twenty verses verse 42, and also in Acts 1, 20, is also Psalms. And But what Psalms or psalmos in Greek means? It means striking an instrument of chords. So you got to remember, when you're reading the book of Psalms, this is not originally a book. It's a Psalter. It's a hymn book. It meant, was meant to be sung with instruments. And that presents some challenges to the study interpretation of the psalms because it doesn't have the same structure that we find in other books of the Bible. For example, it doesn't have the same structure as narratives. It doesn't have that logical sequence of events and people. It also doesn't have the same structure of of epistles, the doctrinal that there is A and B, therefore C. To the countries psalms, they have a, a, a beauty of their own. Uh, the beauty of lyrics, of poetry, of exaggeration sometimes, of the use of emotion, and that's what speaks so much to Christians throughout the time. Uh, is is this this beauty that there is in, uh, and we don't don't have access because most of us, like me, you probably don't understand Hebrew, so we can we have to be satisfied with what we have here. But one thing I would like to you to pay attention while we're studying the Psalms and reading the Psalms is the parallelism. That Hebrew poetry tends to establish very strongly uh, gives you one idea in one verse or in one stanza, and then repeats that idea and adds something to it or contrasts something to it, and that helps us to understand what the psalm is talking about. With that in mind, let us turn to Psalm 1. And Psalm 1, I think we could title "How to Live a minim- Meaningful Life." Some some of you might have a little uh, edition. The editors put a title on it. The way of the righteous and the end of the ungodly, or the way of the righteous and the end of the and the way of the ungodly or of the wicked. But I think we we could think about it as how to live a meaningful life. And it's a very, a very fit introduction for the whole book of Psalms because it introduces us to some of the ideas that would be repeated throughout the Psalms. And I hope that in our study today we'll see just that. How this The themes developed here are actually in other psalms and also in the whole Bible. Uh, Now let's look at the first verse. The psalm starts with blessed. Blessed is the man and then it gives a series of things uh, describing that man that is blessed. Now this word blessed literally means oh how happy, oh how happy is the man and gives a list of things describing that man. This word is used 26 times in the book of Psalms. And I think it's interesting if we could do a little bit of a uh, an overview of that just to understand what the psalmist means by blessed, because what we mean by blessed might not be what he means by blessed. If you read in Psalm 2 verse 12, we read that blessed are all those who put their trust in the Lord. So blessedness has to do with the relationship with the Lord. If you turn with me to Psalm 32, Psalm 32, verse 1, we read, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So not only is the blessed man blessed because of god he's blessed also because something that god has done to him namely forgiven his sins if you go to psalm 40 you don't have to go there psalm 40 and 4, we read that blessed is the man that makes the lord his trust again the same idea as psalm 2. so blessedness has to do with the relationship of this particular person with god himself now We're going to read a series of descriptions of the blessed men, and I don't want you to be confused and think this is a requirement to be blessed. That all those things we'll see here are requirements to be blessed or checklists to be blessed. Because that would be contrary to the rest of the Bible. We are not blessed because we do things. It's actually because God does something to us, we are blessed. So we're going to see a series of descriptions here of the blessed man, but don't think that this is to be saved or to be accepted by God. To the contrary, it's because the blessed man is accepted by God, because of something God has done to him beforehand, that he is transformed to a certain degree or to a degree that he, he, he presents consistently, he or she, Presents consistently this behavior. So this is not a requirement you go out there and um, check this, I don't do this, I don't do that. But rather, am I walking like a blessed person? Am I walking like this godly person? Because there are two ways, only two ways, and we are called to contrast between the two ways and to look at our lives and to ask God for help if we're not that close to the godly man or woman. Now, let's look at The progression here, look, there's a progression of, again, the parallelism, a progression in verse one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, then stands not in the path of sinners, then sits not in the seat of the scornful. You see, there's a progression of walking, standing, sitting. Also a progression between the counsel of the ungodly, the path of sinners and the seat of the scornful. Another third progression or a parallelism is the ungodly, the sinners, and the scoreful. What would that mean? What would that mean? Well, I, I would suggest to you that this is actually a full description of several stages. It all begins with walking under the counsel of the ungodly. The blessed man understands that even the counsel, the advice of those that don't seek the Lord is dangerous. And even walking under that counsel is dangerous. Then it comes to standing in the path of sinners, standing not just of the ungodly, they don't take God into, into their hearts and don't consider God in their thoughts, but also standing on the way of those that actually are doing something that is sinful. You might argue that uh, standing in the path of sinners might be just uh, being about to sin, right? Because you're about to commit the sin, or just being comfortable being uh, complacent with the sinner, or with the sin, with sin itself, and then he doesn't sit on the seat of the scornful, and here he really dwell. Could be tra- it's translated sit, but the word could be translated dwell. He it doesn't. He's not comfortable. He doesn't take his seat and gets comfy with the scorn with the scornful. And those that take seat with the scornful can be called scornful or mockers. We usually don't use this word in English, right, scornful. But we understand what a mocker is. It's the same word. So he he doesn't mock. He not only is not walking under the advice of the ungodly, he's not uh, standing in the path of sinners, but he's not also sitting among the ones that mock God. So, this is his behavior. We're going to contrast three things in the life of the godly and three things in the life of the ungodly. We just saw the behavior of the godly person. We'll see the delight of the godly person and the life of the godly person. And we'll see also the behavior of the ungodly, the life, the delight of the ungodly, and the life of the ungodly. Now, let's look at verse two. But, then we have, so we have three negatives and now we're going to have one positive, actually two positives. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, you might think this law, because we are in the Old Testament, is thinking, is just referring to the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. First seen in Exodus 20, and also you have in Deuteronomy 6. But I want to suggest to you that this, to us as Christians, under the light of the New Testament, we might take this as more than just the Ten Commandments but also the whole word of God. turn to me please to Romans three Romans chapter three we have an interesting uh, an interesting quotation here so in Romans three starting verse 10, Paul is writing to the Romans and he makes a collage of, of a series of texts from the Old Testament. Uh, They include Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Ecclesiastes, Psalm 5, Psalm 140, Psalm 10, and Proverbs, and also Isaiah at the end. And then if you look down at verse 19 of Romans 3, he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. And then he goes on to say, uh, to continue his argument. So he's referring to this This pack of a lot of different verses from the Old Testament, including the Psalms and things that are not explicitly the Ten Commandments, as the law of God. Also, if you look in John 10, 34, Jesus said of something, quoting from the Old Testament, that it was law. But it's actually, he was quoting Psalm 82, Psalm 82 and verse 6. You don't have to go there. We have the same thing uh, as John, the writer say in John 15 verse 25 of the gospel according to John. So as Christians, we can understand that the one that delights in the law of the Lord is not that he delights only in the 10 commandments, he delights in the whole counsel of God. And as Christians, we could understand if we are to see the blessed man in the light of the New Testament, he is the person that delights in the whole book of God, the whole book cover to cover Genesis to Revelation. Now this is interesting, so delight, right? Delight, this is his delight. It's not that he likes it, it's not that he does it often, it's not that he he does it to fulfill or to check off uh, a checklist or to get his reading plan for the year done and then get over with that thing. He delights in it, he loves it, he seeks after it. And the consequence is that he's doing that every single day and every single night, day and night meditating and here it's it's very interesting that the word meditate here can in the hebrew can mean moan or growl and if you think of that day they didn't have a book right they had scrolls they had to be stored somewhere somewhere not everybody had a copy of of the of what they had the pentateuch in their time, not everybody had a copy. So they would get to gatherings where the law or the the Word of God would be read out loud and they would repeat to themselves and go home repeating, repeating, repeating until they get it, meditating on it, right? Today we have so many Bibles and so much resources. I mean, you can take a phone and bring up 10 different versions in, I don't know, 20 different languages, but we don't spend that much time with the bible itself right i mean you can carry on your arm but not with the bible saying it back to you reading it back to you asking the lord to illuminate you meditating it rowling now the blessed man does this meditates on the law of the lord day and night First, because it's a commandment of God. So if you read Josh 1 and verse 8, God says to the Israelites, you got to do this. He ordains them to meditate on the law day and night. So it's a commandment of the Lord. But he doesn't take this as a heavy burden. He does it with delight and happy. Now, turn to me to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. And if you look at verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6. God gives an instruction. He gives. Uh, he repeats the greatest commandment, right, and then he gives instruction to the people of Israel what to do with it. And these words which I command to you today shall be in your heart. Then look at look at the different instructions here. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk to them of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. So of course you can take that literally, but you can take the spirit of it, or the the really the intention, what the Lord is doing here is saying, you gotta put the Word of God everywhere you go and you gotta meditate on it. You gotta find, ex- you must find excuses to put in, introduce the Word of God into your life. And it's understandable because if you, if you ever try to read the Bible consistently, you know that our flesh doesn't want it. And there are a thousand. And even maybe more reasons to not do it that you even you can only find the reasons to not do, read the Bible when you're trying to read the Bible consistently, then you can come up with the best reasons to not read it. It's your flesh right, but why do we have to do that remember that in Romans 12 Paul admonishes us to renew our minds right renew our minds. We are to renew our minds, and how can we renew our minds and not be conformed with this world? Only if we're exposed to something, it's not just emptying your mind, it's not like mindless meditation, it's not emptying your mind of, of things, but it's filling your mind and your heart with the word of God. That's the only way the blessed man gets his life, which we will see in a few moments. Now, I got to show you this in Psalm 19. This is a beautiful excerpt of the Psalm. Psalm 19 is a beautiful song. It starts talking about the God's self-revelation in nature, but then in verse seven, it starts with a very interesting description of the word of God, the law of God. Now in verse seven of Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, now, listen to this. Moreover, by them your servant is warned in keeping them that is great reward so the blessed man understands that and he delights in that and delights in in the fact that the Lord of God is not just words on on a sheet of paper but with the help of the Holy Spirit can be even more than that and even we are taught. well we are Paul talks to Timothy on 2 Timothy 3 16 to 17 of the benefits of the word of God the word of God is good for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction it's good to Equip the men of God to every good work. It's in the word of God we find the weapons or the instructions. It's the word of God. Now, let's look at the life of the blessed man in verse 3. The life of the blessed man. Look at that. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper if you at home want to take a look at Jeremiah 17 eight, there's a similar image there of uh, the godly person being planted by uh, a stream or a source of water like a tree but we are not going to go there because we don't have the time now what this part of the psalm is talking about it's talking about the steadiness or how the steadiness of the blessed man. The the blessed man is like a tree that has always a source of water. A, a tree that grows and that brings forth fruit in its season. Of course, it's not always in its in its season. It might be, uh, it might might be that the blessed man doesn't have fruits every time, but he will have fruits. He must have fruits in its season whose leaf shall not wither, so comes heat, comes wind, tempest, day, night, and the blessed man continues with the source of its strength, because the source of its strength is the Lord. Now, and whatever he does shall prosper. This is the spicy line in the psalm. You think prosperity gospel? No, tell that to Job. No, it's not prosperity gospel. Now let's look at this a little bit closer. Whatever he does, whatever the blessed man does, shall prosper. Now I just described to you a behavior of a person that's been transformed by the Word of God, a person that's been inhabited by God and with his word being transformed to think differently and to act differently. If you read in Psalm 37, in verses 23 and 24, we read that the steps of the good man of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So the blessed man is being guided not by himself anymore. He's being transformed to such a degree that it is no longer him that lives. In the words of Paul in Galatians, it's Christ that lives in him. Now let's look at Isaiah 55. And this is a very good one. If we're filling our hearts and our minds with the word of God, it transforms us to a point that we do what the word of God commands us to do. And the word of God has such a power. Isaiah 55 verse 10 and 11, for as the rain comes down, here's again the water and the agriculture um, illustration here. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what it please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So God is saying that his word shall not come empty, it will produce the result that it's meant to produce. Well, the blessed man meditates in the word of God day and night. It's no surprise that the blessed man now, it's doing what the word of God commands him to do. The blessed man now is on God's side and whatever he does shall prosper. Of course, because what he's doing now is not his will, it's the will of God. And if you do the will of God, whatever we do won't come to to nothing. It will endure. It will have eternal fruit. Now, let's compare that to the ungodly man in verse four. The ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And here you have a big contrast. So the ungodly are not so, you just read one, verses one and two, three, and negate everything you read. That's the ungodly. So the ungodly, they walk in the council of the ungodly. Of course, the ungodly. They stand in the path of sinners. Of course, they are ungodly. They sit in the city of scorful Of course, they are ungodly. They, they don't delight in the law of the Lord. They don't meditate in the law of the Lord day and night because they are ungodly. So their life is different from the blessed man. Their desires are different from the blessed man. And therefore, they are not like a tree planted by the rivers of water. In fact, they're like the chaff, which the only use for the chaff when you are done uh, threshing the wheat is to let the wind blow it away and then you gather in a corner and put fire on it. So that's the ungodly. All his life everything he does his end shall be with the fire burning. What a useless life. The ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And we have the confirmation of that because now we have The contrast of the ungodly with the godly the contrast of their destinies in verses 5 and 6 therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous see it's talking about judgment and I I would suggest to you this we can understand as the final judgment and the congregation of the righteous is the final gathering of the righteous so God will put them separate, he'll separate the sheep from the goats, because right now they live together, the ungodly and the godly, the blessed man and the cursed man, they're mixed, mingled, they, are, they work together, they go to church together, they, unfortunately some people have them in their houses, they sit on their tables with them, but God will come all of this to judgment and he'll separate the godly from the ungodly and then when he does that everybody will see what verse 6 is talking about for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish the way of the righteous the Lord knows the way of the righteous Jesus says that he knows his sheep in John 10 but well, if you turn to Matthew 7 and I do ask you to indulge with this last verse Matthew 7 We have actually the picture of what is to know. We usually understand knowing as acquaintance. Oh yeah, I know that person, I've seen them. But to God and the Bible itself uses this language to talk about a deeper connection, more intimate connection. The connection between a married couple, right? It uses as an euphemism for the sexual intercourse. But also God uses for a different way of knowing with a different connection. Now, in Matthew 7, verse 21, we read, not everyone who says to me, and that, that's Jesus saying, Lord, Lord shall, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prof- prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and then many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you who practice lawlessness, I mean of course Jesus knew them, he had knowledge of their existence because he knows everything, but he's talking about a different type of knowledge, I never knew you, you did all of that, but well, we didn't have a personal relationship, we didn't have a personal connection, you weren't a blessed person, you were a cursed person even though you were doing things that appear godly and he doesn't question their works. He doesn't say, well, everything you did was false. He doesn't question it. He doesn't question that God probably was working through them. Because in fact, God used Balaam's donkey to talk to him. And I don't think Balaam's donkey will be in heaven. But Jesus is talking about what Psalm 1 is talking about the Lord knows the way of the righteous intimately, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Psalm 917 says very clearly, the wicked, which is the same word for ungodly, shall be turned into hell. Whatever he does, we turn to nothing. Now, I hope you are not in that situation, but I must say everybody in this room and on Zoom, there are only two ways. Either you are walking and you are blessed by God because you've been forgiven by God through his son and he's working in you, or you're still a wicked person, and you need to turn and repent and turn to Jesus. That's the only way. There are only two ways. And either we are getting closer to God, being drawn by him, or we're getting farther away from God, being drawn by everything else. So today, uh, as an application, please consider these words. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly who nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. May God help us to put into practice his word.